Lisa, you either figure out how, oh, I get angel bumps. You either figure out how to forgive and move on and let go and let God, or you are going to be one angry, miserable human being. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. I've got a very special one for you guys today. Two years in the making, actually. Uh, Lisa Marie Platsky, president of Upside thinking owner of Summit Hills Farm and a number one best-selling author and international speaker. She's an expert in leadership, connection, human behavior, and personal branding. She's had a ton of milestones from her law enforcement career all the way to being recognized uh, by the White House as a top 100 female executive making a difference. Lisa, welcome to the show, sister. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for being getting to be here with you and your community. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited too. I'm most excited to talk about, uh, and this is for personal reasons to talk about your farm. Okay. So I, I have a little mini tiny hobby farm, right? We got chickens. We're going to start growing vegetables in a couple of weeks. So we're excited about it. So I wanted to talk about yours and this journey you've been on over the past about year and a half now, where you purchased a farm and you're expanding the farm. And so, so what all are you guys growing or do you have animals or what are y'all doing on this farm? I grow leaders. That's what I grow on the farm. <laughs> so that is, that is it. So um, I grow leaders. This was not, will I someday have, will I someday have uh you know, grow vegetables. Yes, I would love to do that. And that was supposed to be this year. However, mm -hmm. instead of that, I now have uh, insurance to tend to from a flood and from, you know, a tornado. And so mm -hmm. that's just not, that's not what's happened. And yeah. as far as animals, the previous people had horses, but mm -hmm no no horses and most <laughs> of the neighbors have cattle i would say you know probably a good 80 percent of them but no mm -hmm. not, not looking at that either so so you're you know, utilizing the, you're utilizing the space for your upside thinking business and so uh how are you what are some of the ways you're utilizing the space well uh i do private leadership retreat days. And so I have people come to the farm to do their, do their work, do the, do our, our leadership coaching work where they come up with, here's what it is that I want problem that I want solved or the challenge that I want to be able to work on. And then we spend the day at the farm and we get to use the property for uh, walks and use the land itself to help come up with the solutions. So I've used it that way. I've done group retreats here. I've done corporate retreats here. And I'm actually in the process of creating a 
what I like to call my upside warrior program. And that's, you know, something I'm excited about using the land here for as well. Fantastic. Yeah. And when you have a space like that, there's just so many different ways you can utilize it, especially when you talk about retreats like you are. So a lot of what you do is developing leaders. And so we have a philosophy on the show that in order to build great sales teams, you have to be a great leader. You know, so a lot of what we talk about on the show isn't even sales necessarily. It's more about leadership and developing yourself, growing yourself, which is what you're in the business of. So I would love to hear kind of your principles or pillars on how to develop yourself as a leader as well as others. Well, I love that you get that it starts with self because I feel like that's where so many people go wrong is they, they look at it as leadership is something that you do. And it's like, no, leadership is something that you are. And when you understand that you have a personal responsibility to evolve as a human and to look at all, everything it is, all the experiences that you've gotten in life and how they've affected you and how they show up in your interactions with others, then you win. You know, then, you know, then you get to make your team and those around you better though, personally and professionally. So, you know, my, my leadership journey is, is one that started off when I was in federal law enforcement. And when I opened my business, I didn't have the uh, the business acumen. I hadn't, I had no business experience. I knew nobody who had a business. I wasn't this little girl that grew up and said, I want to be a business owner. In fact, probably if I would have known all of the things that came with owning a business, I wouldn't have taken this route at all because as you understand, it's really the greatest personal development journey you can, you can be on in owning a business. So definitely more challenges along the way than I ever could have expected. And in, in, in doing that, because I had all of those things and was 3,000 miles away from my closest friend or family member, I began interviewing people in business, people who were nonprofit leaders, successful in corporate, uh, entrepreneurs, and interviewing them and going, all right, what is it that you did to be successful? What is it that you did to lead yourself to get to where you are? And that's how the seven pillars of leadership came up for me to, in, in my leadership philosophy was I was really looking for a shortcut. And I was also understanding that much to what you just said, the secret to their success wasn't their sales, even though you, you need to have sales in order to have a business and you, in order for you to have, have profit. It was, their, it was their ability to lead themselves in order to lead them first to get to their team. And so that's really how all of that came about for me. I, I, was, I was looking for like, what's, what's the, the magic formula for leadership in business? And, and, the, and the seven pillars were birthed. Awesome. Can you walk us through those? I would love to. So pillar number one is start with a written plan, begin with the end in mind. And there's five elements to having a written plan. And so this isn't about a 50 page business plan. It's really about having a plan that you identify what, what is most important to you, um, Mm -hmm. who you are, what you want, why it matters. Pillar number two is understand your personality. And that is understanding the things in your personality that get in the way and hinder you getting your plan and understanding the things in your personality that, 
that actually assist and allow you to get to where you want to go and being able to differentiate the two and understanding that when you choose to take action on something, you do it from the place of this is, this is my greatest strength and the rest gets hired out. Uh, we all have pieces in our personality that do both. And then pillar three is creating, uh, building uh, pro- uh, powerful partnerships. So that is having relationships with purpose-driven peers, not formal partnerships, but rather partnerships that are informal that allow you to benefit from the power of leverage, making your load lighter. Who understands something? Who is it that actually has the expertise in this particular challenge that I'm coming, that, that I'm confronting versus trying to figure it out and doing the research on your own? And then pillar four is live your priority. And that's the pillar that involves seven pillars of seven, not pillars, seven areas of well-being. And this Mm -hmm. is putting yourself first, your relationship second, and your work third. People find that really hard to do. But for me, because God is so important to me in running my business and helps me run what goes on for me. When I put me first, I'm actually created in the image and likeness of, so therefore, you know, God goes first with me. So I don't consider it a separate entity. And in order for me to, when I do that and my light shines so brightly and I'm really connected to what matters most, my relationships come second because I need to be filled up first in order to be any good for them or the people that I'm called to serve. And those seven areas of well-being in there are ones that uh, oftentimes get are people want to flip-flop and they're physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, financial, relational, and in in work creativity. And so pillar five is creating a meaningful and memorable presence and that there's three elements of presence and they are being physically present in the moment, the art of gratitude and the um, Mastering the subtle art of positioning, which is understanding what to say, who to say it to, and when to say it. And there's seven components of being a trusted expert in that. And then pillar six is evaluate your progress. And that's all about profit and understanding. There's five questions to ask in that regularly. And that's where metrics land and uh, celebration lands there and having a sounding board. And pillar seven is investing in personal and professional development. Many people invest in professional. They do their industry conferences, their industry, things that are in their wheelhouse within their industry, and they don't necessarily pour into themselves as an individual. So that's one of the things that you understand about leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what I like about this is, is, you know, obviously we're surrounded by uh, coaches, thought leaders, influencers. Um, what I appreciate about what you have here is there's an actual structure behind it. And I would imagine that all of your clients, you put them through this structure and make sure that they're well-balanced throughout these seven pillars of leadership. I like you mentioning the structure. I like to, I, I share with people that formulas are different than processes uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 formulas being formulaic is that you'd follow something the exact same way every single time, like baking a cake or building a house and you get the same outcome. 
this is a system, you know, this system is one where any behavioral style can come in. And it's like, this is what it is that there's, where's the weakest link? Where, what is it that that's important for you to do? So yes, I walk clients through this and there is a different focus depending on the individual because what one person may struggle with, it's not linear. The seven pillars aren't, you don't, you don't do plan and then you jump to two and then you, no, not at all. You're, you're, you're in the journey and different times of the journey. I, I understand for myself, sometimes I struggle with number four, sometimes with what's going on in my life, I struggle with number six. It's really about where are you and then being able to recognize where's the weakest link for me right now? What's what's getting in the way and impeding my leadership? No, that's great that you're able to do that as well. And do you find once you start doing that deeper work like that, that clients kind of start pushing away a little bit? Does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. You know, yeah. of course, in the in the humanness of it all, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what you, that means you've got to look at stuff that maybe you really don't want to look at or you've avoided looking at. I, I know for myself, it's the same way. And I was just sharing with somebody recently that, you know, physical well-being, which falls under that pillar number four, that, you know, I, I've been dialed in and dialed in and, you know, weighing and measuring my food and getting on the scale and doing, and then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but a couple of weeks ago, I just found myself going like, wow, instead of drinking a gallon of water every day, I'm drinking like, yeah, maybe like three quarters of a gallon. Oh, sometimes it's a little bit less than that. Oh, that's interesting. I've really gotten off here. And so how does that affect me showing up then with clients? Or how does that affect me, you know, and how I feel? And it's these little things. And so the framework of the seven pillars in having people push back is that if, if something's going on to look at it requires looking at self and going, what are you doing? You know, what, you know, wake up and no, I, I know for myself, it's, I'd like to hide. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be a lot easier to do that. Wouldn't it? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, definitely. I push back is a big thing. So where did this, I guess, passion for leadership and developing leadership come from? Was this something, you know, I would imagine you developed it in law enforcement. And then, I mean, obviously you had a calling. Was that just strictly divine or did you recognize that you wanted to do this for people around you? Well, the the call to leadership came, you know, years, years ago. I don't know that it came, you know, it didn't. I remember when I was about nine years old, I was watching a Merv Griffin on television with my grandfather. My sister and I were playing Connect Floor, and there was somebody that Merv was interviewing. You know, not like I was paying attention to it or anything. I was interested in my game with my sister. And my grandfather said, That's going to be you someday, Lisa. You're going to speak to thousands of people. And what it turned out to be is the person was a motivational speaker. And I don't know that it was a, they were a coach, but that, you know, motivational speaker and something, you know, something like that. And he said, and your sister will be helping you out. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. 
But what I recognized when my grandfather said that, and I look back at it, is that there was this way in which the you know leadership came to me. And, and I don't know that leadership really is something that you once again do it's something that you are right so you have to you you learn more about you and there was an inquisitive nature to who i who i am and my desire to make people feel included that they would follow me and so my sister would joke around today you know that kids in the neighborhood would would i'd come over and hold um play uh play church and play um, teach as the teacher, you know, or whatever, you know, and, and so there was that. And when I was in law enforcement, when I got hired, Doug, this is so funny. We, I was hired with three other guys and I look back on this and this just makes me, it just makes me laugh because they, there was a, um, with the level that we, we would be, and it would be, have been like one, two, three, four, the person would have had to have like four or five promotions depending on who, you know, the, the four of us in the room. And so he was many levels above. And he brought us in as the, as the, um, I don't even remember what the title was at the time, but sort of like a, um, a deputy. And he mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, wanted to answer questions and we were getting ready to go off to the academy. And each of the guys asked questions. They asked questions about pay. They asked questions about retirement. They asked questions about time off. And asked questions about the academy and I was quiet because the one thing that I really understood um, growing up and that I had learned from my grandparents and my parents is the being quiet first and just watching and assessing things yeah. and so I was just paying attention to their questions paying attention to him and he turned to me and said you know you've been quiet like what's you know don't you have a question and I said I do I said, and my question is, how long did it take you to get to where you're at? Because my thought was, I haven't even gone to the academy, but I know where I'm going. And I know it's not going to be like here. I know I like we're, we're going somewhere else, right? So like how long? And he said 17 years. And my first thought oh. was, there ain't no way. <laughs> 17 years. I was like, thank gosh that didn't come out of my mouth because that's uh -huh. exactly where my brain went. Like there is no way. And I remember, you know, just the, the idea of was leadership was about then about promotion or getting promoted. But the reality was when I first got promoted, I wasn't the leader. I was not the leader of my team. There was a guy that was there much longer and he was the leader. And until I learned how to command myself in a way that had people want to follow me, I was just the person with the title. I wasn't the leader. And that's what so many people don't get in their own organizations. And, you know, when they come into companies is you can call yourself president, CEO, you can give yourself whatever fancy title, founder, this or that. That does not necessarily mean you will ever be the leader of your organization. If people don't follow you and they're not going where you're going, you're not the leader. I love that story because it kind of points out that you know, when you have those uh, motivated individuals or ambitious individuals like you were at that time, um, a lot of the boat that we miss is is giving them the path to the opportunity that they want, right? Giving them the opportunity structure, whatever it may be. And, 
you know, and obviously organizations are massive and the bigger they are, the harder it is to mm -hmm. move up the ladder. Right. Um, but that's one of the things we preach a lot here is having that opportunity structure written down, written out so that they can see it and they can kind of put themselves in the position that they think that they want to go after. And then they have a roadmap to do that. Right. Uh, I think that's, that's incredibly massive, but something else you said, you know, was you can give yourself whatever title you want. And I think that's so true. I mean, as a young business owner, I always, I always shied away from the owner title and even the CEO. Cause it's like, all right. I mean, a CEO is actually a four, you know, that's, that's an actual like board position. It's, you know, of a formal company, you yeah. know? And so I always played around with, um, you know, titles like operator, you know what I mean? Cause that's what I was at the time, you know? And, um, I eventually switched to CEO a long time, but we had a board, you know what I mean? And it was yep. official at that point. And then president after that, because I wanted somebody to replace me as CEO. And that I was finally understanding the hierarchy and everything, but long story short, um, man, it, it probably took me a, a decade to become a true leader in my own business. You know what I'm saying? And so I couldn't agree more with what you're saying is, it's like the title isn't enough the you know you being the owner isn't enough like you be you growing yourself and becoming that leader is is everything and i really got it laid out in front of me whenever i joined apex which is we're both in and then i was like okay this is what i've been missing the last decade you know and so that was uh that was a massive moment but you know talking about your your history with uh with law enforcement what branch was, I think I remember, and I think I saw some of your posts too about it, but also are you incorporating anything you learned in law enforcement in your business now? Oh, I, I, absolutely. So I started off in the United States Customs Service, which at the time was part of the Department of Treasury. And uh, there were, you know, responsibilities were drug interdiction and money laundering investigations or, you know, actually looking for it, commercial fraud. I can spot, a, I can spot a, um, you know, a fake Gucci bag from a mile away. Um, so, <laughs> Not always a so, good thing. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like, it was, it was useful, right? It was useful yeah. for a variety of variety of ways in a variety of ways. But when you ask about, you know, what do I use? What law enforcement gave me was an insight into human behavior, how humans behave, you know, both, both sides of it, meaning the guys that I worked with and, and women that I worked with, not just guys, but, but, the, but the men and women that I worked with that wore the uniform, that put on the uniform and, you know, and, and, and went out to work every day, that side of how they worked. Uh, the other part is, I worked, um, I, I was in, in the agency after 9-11. And so after 9-11, we became a different agency. We, we became part of the Department of Homeland Security and U.S. Customs, Immigration, Agriculture, and Border Patrol were put together in, in one house. And Customs and Immigration were cut in half. And half of them went to ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and half of customs went to ICE. 
And so there, there was also that where you had people that you were working with in partnership and now they were working for a different agency the next day and you, you had culture issues that came up. And so when you look at what I got in terms of human behavior, it was also even in the midst of change. I learned change management. You know, you're, you're, you also have a particular mission. 9-11 happens and that mission doesn't exist anymore. Right. Personally, I had a, um, I had received a promotion. I actually, I'd gotten papers that said that I was the new uh, area director for Denver, Colorado and Wyoming. So I'm going through, I'm, I'm, I'm promoting supervisors and I just haven't gotten out there yet to like fly in and take my seat, you know, to, to, so I'm doing this from New York. Mm-hmm. I get a letter in the mail that says, sorry, you're not promoted anymore. Oh, wow. We're going to hire somebody on the immigration side because the agency is now splitting. And so we want to bring somebody else in. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how, how like, like, I'm, I'm like in the role doing the job. Like, how, how do you, how are you like now not promoted? And so resilience, you know, there's another thing where I can give you so many experiences of that, you know, that I use today. Um, and in the work that I do, one of the things that I share from a very tactical standpoint is in use of force that I taught at the academy, mm-hmm. you have five stages and the five stages start with officer presence, how you looked in a uniform. They went to verbal commands, soft arrest techniques, hard arrest techniques, and deadly force. And I use an example where it's the same in business. People first judge you by your presence, how it is you present yourself. Then from there, they they judge you by the words that come out of your mouth. Then they judge you by how it is that you handle them and situations before you actually get to deadly force, which is the knockout in business. Now, some people might say, oh, good grief, you know, in law enforcement, and there's so many, um, there's so much controversy around that. But it's really, there's been so many ways in which I've taken what I gleaned from that journey and apply Mm -hmm. it to the work today. And the final piece that I would be foolish for me to not mention is what law enforcement gave me was the art of forgiveness. Because after 9-11, I could have been a really angry person. I mean, Doug, I was really just not happy with humanity. And um, I couldn't make sense of it. I lost my mentor. I not only lost my mentor, but the everything about how I was working was literally the promotion, my relationship, everything was stripped away from me. And I woke up one day so angry. I, I had sent one of my employees. He he. I had just gotten word that he passed out. I had sent him to like a hundred funerals to be in like dress blues and and to to represent. I had sent employees to look for human remains at the dig site. And my level of anger was so great that it was like, Lisa, you either figure out how. Oh, I get angel bumps. You either figure out how to forgive and move on and let go and let God, or you are going to be one angry, miserable human being. 
who nobody wants to spend time with or be around. And that, that was just, you know, it, it was such a pivotal moment for me. So, so much that I've taken because it's the same thing in business, which just lets me kind of go, yeah, that's not that important. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so leadership, leadership. Absolutely. That's a hell of a journey too. Um, you know what? I've got someone very close to me that has had, you know, some unfortunate things happen in her life, you know, and I've seen her take the opposite route. That's tough, you know, because it's hard to get through that shell now of anger, you know, and it's just in every conversation and every sentence, you know, and you can just feel it. The energy's off and, um, yeah, that can go south fast. And, and it's crazy because you see it in business all the time when you suggest something to someone or you're having a conversation and you give, you know, you throw out an idea that worked for you and they immediately shut it down and it would never work for them. Or they did that one time and got burned. You know what I mean? You know, right away, you're like, okay, I'm not going to suggest anything else. You're just, yep. you got the wall up, right? Yep. And, and so that's a, that's a tough thing to deal with on that end. But I, I, I can imagine, you know, the, all the amazing things because, because we do in, in small business and within our operations and stuff like that, or prior military, you get a lot of these just high level operators, you know, and they've been, been trained how to complete a mission, which is all we yeah. do in business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I couldn't think of anybody more qualified to teach leadership than yourself. So Thank okay. you. Absolutely. Thank so you. what are what are some mistakes right now? And besides what we've talked about already that you see maybe some small business leaders making that um, are pretty apparent, pretty common. And maybe we can just correct that for some listeners right now. Yeah, that's a great question. You know what? What's the big what's the big glaring m mistake? And what I what I see that most small business owners do is they focus so much on the problem. And, um, you know, even recently I had someone say to me, well, you know what, I, I really want to get better at being able to connect with others. And I said, great, then tell me all the things that you do really well to connect with others. And they were like, what do you mean? And they wanted to go down the path of, let me tell you all the things that I don't do well. Right. And it's like, let's look at all the things that you do do well, and let's focus there on what it is. Because throughout the course of the day, as a small business owner, you and I both understand that stuff goes sideways often. Like there's not a day that you wake up and generally like you, all the things on your calendar magically happen exactly the way as you had, and you go to bed and it's just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I mean, last night I'm fielding calls. And it's, you know, it's, it's quarter to nine and I'm, I'm, I'm just so done. And at the same time, it's something that needs tending to, and it's not because I don't have systems and processes or the right people in place or anything right. like that. It's because this person is truly in breakdown and I am the solution and I could put it off to the next day. And the reality is my commitment is so great to being able to be there. And in between flights, it's what they needed. And so, so there I am, you know, on the call at, at quarter to nine. So th with small business, there's so much of a like, what's broken, let's fix it. What's broken, let's fix it. That I find that 
for some people, there's such a swirl of being in the breakdown that creates more angst than actually spending time in the examination of what really, really is working. Now, when you ask about like where, what's going on in terms of, you know, problems for, you know, for small business owners, you know, I, I look at it as the thing that I hear, you know, so often comes down to clarity and that clarity is not clarity of where they're going in their in their like in their business plan or like the the amount of the growth trajectory it's really the clarity and who it is that they are and so for me when i see the ethical dilemma so to speak that's the best way that i can put it is like you know should i do this or should i i i, I not do that oh when you're really clear about who you are and you've given yourself the space, you don't have the, the, um, those decisions are, they, they happen quicker. Like you, you right. don't have to spend as much time wondering which way to go because you're so clear who it is that you are. Mm -hmm. And people say, make decisions fast. The best people make decisions fast. I think that's, I, I think that that does a disservice. Um, some decisions, yes, you make fast and some decisions need discernment. They need quiet time. They need you to actually be in the, who am I? And what are the consequences of this decision? Uh, it makes a ton of sense. And, and, you know, I know exactly what you mean because it, it wasn't until probably about two and a half years ago that I dialed in my core values, right? And once you do that and you, you do it based on who you are, not who you want to be, right? And, and that's not to say that you won't eventually become that person, but you want to do it on who you are. Because if you're setting those core values, whether it's in your business or with your family, you want to make sure that you're representing them at all times, right? And and so I did it on 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 who I was. But, you know, if, if core values had a ranking, one through 10, you know, when it came to integrity, I was probably like an 8.5, you know what I'm saying? And not until I pushed the limit of that, to 10 did like crazy things start happening in my business and not in a good way. They, they filtered out people that shouldn't have been in my business in the first place. And I allowed to happen because my core value was at a five when I allowed that to happen, you know? And so I completely agree with what you're saying. It's like, you get to a certain point where it's not even a question anymore. It's like, Hey, that that's a violation of my core value. So I'm just, I'm not going to do it, you know, and moving on from there. So speaking, speaking to that, um, so one of the, one of the recent articles you wrote, uh, for the Forbes council was about basically turning down clients in a tactful professional way, you know? And so it happens all the times I'll get, you know, I'll get a, a you know, a prospect and then I'll go through their business and everything and have the conversations with them and all that. And they'll say something that I know right away. Well, that sounds like someone that does things that I don't do. <laughs> it's the best way I could put it. Like sure. our core values don't align, you know? And so uh, I, you know, and this is more of a, again, another selfish question. <laughs> How do you tactfully turn down those clients? Well, I, I, you, you speak about something that is, um, multi-layered. So there mm -hmm. are core values in an organization right. and there are core values in an individual. 
And so sometimes people go, okay, here are the core values for the business, but oh, no, no, those core values aren't exactly for me. <laughs> you know, those core values are, you know, those are for the business, you know, that's for how right. we operate. You know, this is what we want to tell people. Kind of like when I say to people, oh, so you, you value your family, but every time you make a decision, it's not for your family. So it's just something nice you tell your friends, right? Right. I mean, it, you know, it's like you have to actually live and embody what that is. And so the business, when you're an owner, becomes you and you become the business. It's very difficult to separate the two and to be able to say that's, you know, that's just the business's responsibility. But that oftentimes happens where the core values of the individual are, are different. And so, you know, when going back to what you ask about is how do you tactfully say no or how do you. Um, you know, for me, it's not about like the, the tactful, um, it's not really not about the tactful answer. It's that I'm really clear that I'm designed to work with people, the people that I'm called to work with. Like that's, you know, that there are individuals every single, uh, at least every single one, at least every single month, if not, you know, weekly that say, I would like to work with you. And it's not a fit. And it's not a fit for a variety of reasons. And sometimes it's core values and sometimes it's something else. And I'm really upfront and I say, you know, I'm, I'm getting that it's not now, or I'm getting that it's not, I'm not your guide. I'm not your, your coach. I'm not your mentor. I'm not your person to help you along the journey. The things that I'm committed to and the things that you're seem to be committed to are different. Mm -hmm. And when the person says, no, 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 because sometimes I'll get and they'll say, oh, you know, I'll pay you. And I, you know, I can, I can pay you whatever. And it's like, it, it's not about that. It's yeah. about, I have a mission in the planet. You have a mission on the planet and where I'm going, I'm really clear where it is and where you're going, you've got something and we're just not supposed to be on this path together. And so yeah. I wish that I had some magic phrase, you know, to be able to say like, here's the thing, but it's just, we're not going to the same place. And I sometimes think about that, like in, in, you know, in my relationship with my marriage, it's like, we're, we both travel very, very separate paths, my husband and I, you know, we, yeah. you know, he does his own thing. I do my own thing. And at the same time, where we're both traveling to, like what most ma matters most, that's where it, it's, it's the same. Our destination is the same. Right. And, and so when, when someone's, you know, tells me things and I understand there's a disconnect in, in what they value, like, mm -hmm. you know, I value mercy. I value justice. I value protection. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I value excellence. I value, I value things that are, that are, part of it. And it doesn't mean that you don't, that those things aren't important to you. It's that they're not the same on the journey. Mm -hmm. So that's my response. 100%. And so um, you've got a lot going on right now. I see you all over the social medias and everything, right? What's, what's next for upside thinking? Oh, what's next? What's next? You know, I, I, um, I love that that question because what I think is next and what is actually next, you know, <laughs> is, is, is really often the, the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the big, the, the big curious dilemma, not dilemma, the big curious surprise, I suppose. Um, uh -huh. I would, 
Uh, and I'll, I'm gonna, I'll take a step back on this. Last year, I had started to write a book with a colleague of mine and we were writing the book and I was like, I'm going to put this book out on the divine operating system and how to bring God into your business. And then something happened and the project, we were like, I don't know, so far in it. And the project came to a screeching halt. The person that we hired to help us out with it, like didn't deliver. And it was like a no. And yeah. then I could really, and I was like, all right, so the book's not coming out. Okay, we're not doing that. You know, and then I w went forward with something and I was like, oh, this is what it is that I'm doing. And then I had the, the, um, a flood in my house and I was like, oh, that's not what I'm doing. And so I told you that I'm excited about the upside warrior program and I am mm -hmm. and about how I can use the land here at the farm, how I can use my land in Wisconsin, how I can use this to be able to bring leaders together, to test them physically but not, uh, not like just a challenge course, test them physically, test them emotionally and mm -hmm. test them spiritually. And so I have these three, you know, components, body, mind, and spirit to be able to, 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 to challenge. And I've, you know, mapped it out and stuff like that. And then I had a halt, you know, because of the, because of the, um, the flood it was one of the reasons why. And, and so I'm actually, I'll also because the tornado because our event center part of it collapsed. So that's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. So it's like, you know, I, working overtime. Right, you know, that, exactly. And so, you know, you yeah. say to me like, what is it? And it's like, I'm really curious. What is it, Doug? My producer's laughing. No, I definitely anyway, understand that. And, you understand, and I was going to say, and you understand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause a couple of months ago, I thought I was going to do a live building great sales teams course, but now it's turned into a community instead, you know? And so you adapt and pivot where you can, but, uh, I was checking out your, your website and y'all have got retreats coming up, but then you also have uh, a summit coming up here in about seven months or so. And so can you kind of walk us through what someone should expect on a retreat and then the, the, the summit as well that's coming up. Sure, sure. So, so the summits are, you know, I do I, the summit I do once a year, the retreats I do three times a year. And the retreats yeah. are really they're deep dives, you know, they're designed for a small group of people. You know, I, I you know, I, the last one had five people in it. Uh, yeah. The one, you know, one prior to that, there was 12. The most I've ever done is 20. And I would never, ever do that again. Like that's way too, too many. And yeah. so, and I've done it for two when there was only two people signed up. So it's not like I, I go, okay, if there's only one person, no, no, I'm committed. You know, my God contract is three events a year and whomever gets mm -hmm. sent gets sent. And those are deeper dive into leadership. They're the, they're, they're the personal journey of leadership. And the ex experience is that at the end of that time of you looking at where you are and what you want and why it matters that mm -hmm. what comes up is um, is surprising and transformational. And it's on those retreats, there are things that get shared that I'd say the majority of the participants have never shared in any other space. Um, they didn't even really get real about their money, their finances, their relationships. So, mm -hmm. um and the end result is that then something gets cracked open so that your business grows so mm -hmm. that you're the leader that looked at the things that needed to, to transpire in order for you to take that business to the next to its next evolution. 
And the summit once a year is on those seven pillars that I just talked about. We spend three okay. days and we deep dive into the seven pillars. Um, the the um, Whereas at the retreat, you're looking at where's the weakest link for you, you know, because the okay. individual journey, the summit is you know, 101 people on the journey together in the seven pillars and diving into the material. So that's an experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is one where, um, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're moving, you're moving together. Um, but it isn't the in, doesn't have the individual one-on-one -on -one coaching because it's, it's uh, more of a training. Yeah, that makes sense. I like the concept of the retreat because, you know, when you look at just being an entrepreneur in general, maybe you're two or three years in, whatever the case is. And like we all do, when we start, we just kind of shoot from the hip and we're like, okay, I'm going to focus on sales or I'm going to focus on marketing or I'm going to focus on operations. So wait, I got to, got to make sure my team's taken care of them, focus on culture. And then you're, you're jumping all over the place. And then when you finally get to a place where it's like, all right, I need to make a leap you know, whether it's from 1 million to 5 million, 5 million to 10, whatever the case is, what was easy is not so easy anymore. That growth that used to be easy doesn't come naturally. I feel like this is one of those things that you can go to and really just focus on yourself for three days, which if that's all you did, <laughs> you'd learn a lot, right? But to have a guide in that process and kind of somebody to nudge you a little bit and say, hey, is this something that is holding you back? I think is, is, is massive. Well, I thank you for that because it's something that you understand because this has been the journey that you're on and because you understand leadership starts with self. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly it is when you're in there, you're looking at things that you, they're not the external. Whenever there's a problem in business, I would say that most business owners go, okay, what's the, what's the external fix? Like right. I need to pour some money into marketing, advertising, my website, my whatever. Very few people go, where, what's going on in me that's creating this in the organization? What's creating this in the culture? What's creating this in the pipeline or in, you know, us attracting great talent. What in me is, is, is having this uh, show up. And so when you're there, you're, you're looking at it, but you're not looking at it from a, let's sit down and let's look at, see where I'm the problem. No, that's not what that's <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that. It's, 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 it's through, you know, questions and dialogue and conversation. And I will share a, um, a, a very brief story about something at the last retreat. Like we were in Estes Park, Colorado, and one of the guys came in and some morning time and, you know, we're just in, in the, just hello, you know, we're not, yeah. we're not getting into any material. And one of them goes, wow, we just saw some elk this morning and we saw one um, go across the pond and it, it, um, two of the guys had taken a walk and they mm -hmm. saw this elk and it, it went across the pond. It got about 90% and it turned around and it, and it, it ran the other way. And, and so he said, that's kind of like business owners, you know, sometimes they go 90% and then they turn around when they're so close to getting to the end. But then somebody else shared something and they said, well, what if 90% was their best? And so it ended up being this conversation where, the philosophical conversation had then the reflection of, well, where does that show up in me? Both, you know, in, in both ways. And so it's really more of the what's going to present and 
um, and then have, you know, my responsibility is when something like that shows up, how do we actually turn that into something that allows each person to see something in themselves and in their business? And I had somebody at the last one who said, gosh, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and I just got 10 years worth of transformation. And I had no idea that that was the problem. You know, I had no idea that that started then. And so I think it's the easier route. And I've done it myself where I've thrown money at things that really weren't the issue when really the responsibility was me to look in the mirror. I love that concept too, because... I mean, it's, it's going to show up not just in your business, but in your personal life and in your friendships and your relationships, like you said, 100%. And so the ROI is not just your business. You know, the ROI is your entire life and eventually your legacy, right? And so, you know, the last question I have for you is around legacy. What does legacy mean to you? And what legacy do you want to leave behind? Ah, legacy. Yep. To, to make an impact for lifetimes to come versus, you know, just in the here and now. And, you know, my legacy, when I, when I look at it, you know, I, I don't have, I don't have children. doesn't mean that I don't have a family, but I don't have children. And so it's been a question that I've asked myself, like what, what lives on beyond me? And, it's the reason why, oh, and it'll make me cry, which is a good thing, because whenever you're moved to tears by your, your mission and your work, it's a good thing. Take your time. I recognize that my responsibility is not about me being out front and center. Mine is not for me to be like, you know, here, look at me. That's not it. When I said to you early on, to grow leaders, what I heard the Holy Spirit share with me about this land is that it's my responsibility to heal the land so the land can heal the leaders. And my legacy is lived by the 100,000 other leaders that I've had the honor of coaching and mentoring and training and them taking a piece of the material and living it in their life. Mm -hmm. And so when I get the phone call that says, mm, makes me cry this year, I reconciled with my wife. I called my father after not talking for 20 years. I am sober and drug-free for a hundred days. My child is no longer cutting herself. When I get those calls and that work, I understand that the work I'm doing will last for generations to come. And the stuff about me helping somebody perhaps grow their business and make more money. And mm -hmm. that that's nice, especially when they take it and they use it for good. But those pieces around who they are, those are the parts that I understand are the legacy pieces that I'm, I'm I understand will make an impact on the planet for future generations.
I love it. The, the visual that comes to mind, and this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately, right? Because I ask this question to every guest, whether we're all tactical or not, I, I nail them with this question at the end. <laughs> and, and, you know, I have this theory or theory, I guess you could say it's like, you know, if, if, if we strive for a, you know, a man-made or a worldly legacy, you know, we're always going to come up short. You know, we may even be forgotten sooner because of that, because it wasn't of pure intention, right? It was about our name and our ego. Um, but I feel like the legacy that you're striving for and that I want to strive for as well is one that if there was a visual to it, only God would be able to see it and it would be ripples in a pond, you know? And again, long after we're, our, God's already seen it, those ripples that you're creating, you know what I'm saying? And that, and that to me is why he can say, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, and that would be just amazing. And so that's what I would want. 100%. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the show and uh, impart your wisdom on us, as well as your leadership philosophies. I think uh, our listeners got a ton of value from this today. Uh, beyond business, 100%. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime I get to spend time with you is such a blessing in my life. And so appreciate your leadership and what you do to make the world better. Thank you so much. Let's get building. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. We really do appreciate it. As you know, we believe that great leaders build great teams. How do you become a great leader? You learn from the greats. Join us at the Million Dollar Mastermind put on by Ryan Stuman in Frisco, Texas, and learn everything that you need to learn to be that great leader. The link will be in the description below. As always, we ask that you like, share, and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts so you can stay up to date with the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. Let's get building.